Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest. And then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have. So let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Our host, Nick Latz, sits down with Beth LeBoyer, who is the executive director of the California Ambulatory Surgery Association. Beth joins us today to share tips for those who have been promoted to ASC administrators that have a clinical background and can run an OR, but might not be sure where to start when it comes to running a business, staying on top of regulations, properly staffing, and everything in between. We'll close the episode with a few news stories. We'll start with a recap of Google's new AI solution called Medical Imaging Suite, share a little insight into what the CDC is saying about this year's flu season, talk about Newsweek's latest report on America's best ambulatory surgery centers, and of course, end the news segment with a positive story about a new documentary called The Strength to Heal. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in surgery centers. Beth, welcome to the Thanks, show. Thanks, Nick. So nice to be here. Really appreciate it. Beth, if you don't mind, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? How long have you been with the CASA organization and what's your role sure. there? Sure. So, uh, yes, I am the executive director of CASA, uh, more formally known as the California Ambulatory Surgery Association. And gosh, I've been in that role since 2004, which is kind of hard to believe. I can't believe so much time has passed. But um, my role there is basically to implement the the strategic plan for the board and um, help our members uh, succeed as ASCs in California. And, you know, that that involves um, some advocacy and, you know, and developing relationships with the regulatory bodies and making sure they know who ASCs are and that what we're doing for their communities with healthcare and driving down the cost of care. A lot of it has to do with education because there's so much changing um, with surgery centers and so much, um, you know, that ASCs need to keep current with. So I don't develop a lot of education programs. And, you know, lastly, it's kind of being a lifeline um, to our members. So if they have a question um, or need assistance with something, they know that they can reach out to me and the CASA team and we'll get back with them as quickly as possible and try to give them an answer. And if we don't know it, we'll, we'll find a, you know, find others that do know the answer for them. So they can, you know, like I said, be the best they can be in their surgery centers. Fantastic. I know so many surgery centers and in our area and community have gotten so much value from your organization over the years. And I wanted to to touch on a little bit, Beth, as well, your background, you know, prior to CASA. Can you talk a little bit about your experience and career oh, sure. you know, prior to CASA? Yeah. So I'm a registered nurse and gosh, I started out in labor and delivery. And, and in that role, I learned to um, circulate and scrub C-sections. So it was kind of a natural transition for me to go to the hospital app, hospital surgical department. So I spent years there and worked in multiple specialties, both scrubbing and circulating, and ended up doing a little management and became 
a certified nurse of the uh, perioperative nurse, so CNOR. And then, um, gosh, uh, I took a role as the clinical director for a local ASC in our area and um, felt very comfortable with that role running the, the, the OR and the pre-op and the recovery. But I swear within a week, <laughs> the business office manager left and it felt like it was the next week. I'm sure it wasn't this quick, but the administrator left. And uh, next thing I knew, I was in charge of all of the different operations of the surgery center, not just the clinical operations. And I quickly felt like, gosh, you know, a fish out of water, so much I needed to know. And um, just great timing. Um, I attended a CASA conference. Um, shortly thereafter. And um, at that time, CASA was all volunteer. And um, I was just amazed. They took me in, um, all of the the members there and the contacts. And here I was, you know, needing to learn so much. And they just really helped me. It was a true lifeline for me. And, uh, you know, I could pick up the phone and call them and email and just I kept learning and learning. And I, of course, became involved with the association as a volunteer. And um, it just really taught me the value of being a part of that community and um, being a part of the state association. And then, um, gosh, CASA grew and they wanted to bring um, some pay off some you know, the paid staff. And I was, you know, having some life changes. It was very full time or very part time when I took this position, but I ended up being the executive director of CASA um, as uh, part time. And then now it's full time and we're just like going gang- gangbusters. Yeah. And that's cool to hear how your career kind of came full circle, um, you know, through, through kind of the ranks at the surgery center and into the CASA organization to help, you know, fuel, fuel the organization's growth that you mentioned. Uh, I want to touch on one aspect of your background that you mentioned that, that I think will pertain to several of our listeners around uh, a clinical background in a surgery center environment in transitioning into more of the business side and the administrative side, uh, because it seems seems like that is fairly, fairly common for, for nurses and clinical folks to, to make that transition. What, what was it like to make that transition at that time? Did you feel well prepared or is it one of those drinking from a fire hose type? Wow. Moments? You know what? It was, it was really, um, drinking from a fire hose is a great example. I felt like I was the only one that had, um, gone this pathway. And I think that's part of being my experience with CASA. I learned that I wasn't the only one that, you know, had this transition. In fact, it's more common than not. And I mean, kind of um, interesting is I just got off the phone with somebody who 20 years nursing experience and all now they're running a a surgery center and, um, you know, all of their concerns and feeling uncomfortable and, and, and um, needing to know so much. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I'm talking about that today. And here, here we are, you know, I just, I literally just hung up the phone. And so you would think, I mean, and all this time that's passed that we would have, um, you know, more preparation or a different pathway, but I think it's just how it works you're, um, you know, a good clinical leader 
And um, next thing you know, that you're taking on more of these operations and more of these responsibilities. Yeah, so, sounds a little bit like trial yeah. by fire. Yeah. And, so uh, and, and I'm interested in that kind of training and education piece. And you, you referenced that you leveraged the, uh, the CASA organization at that time. Maybe tell me a little bit about what, what kind of training and resourcing and, and networking was available when you made the transition and maybe contrast to that to what you see you know, available now. Uh, is there a difference in, in, in education and experience that's out there? To tap I into? think there are a few more resources and uh, certainly the industry has grown that there, um, you know, you have more opportunities, but there still is the same need. So when you're coming from, a, you know, a clinical background, you've got, I mean, more than often, you know, you're really experienced with the OR. And boy, you know how to run the, the operating room. You know, you know, who's the strong people to put in specialties for to make that case, that room go great for the day and how to manage acute patient acuity and the schedule and pre-op and recovery room. But when you get to the surgery center, you, um, and particularly if you're coming from an inpatient environment, um, you have all these responsibilities that you just, that you might have resources for in the hospital. You've got your regulatory and accreditation. You have your uh, running a sterile processing department. You've got uh, an infection prevention program um, in the hospital that's usually outsourced by a different pos uh, department. And here you are responsible in an ASC. Um, you have um, IT. <laughs> Right. And all of a sudden you're responsible for IT and, you know, gosh, more than often than not, that's really not your expertise. And then you talk about um, the quality program and risk management. And then you have physician peer review and credentialing. And then we haven't even got into the business side with contract negotiations and revenue cycle and billing and, and even just how to read a financial statement. So it's, it is just really, it's really overwhelming. And um, I guess the one thing I have to say is there's so much that you just can't do this alone. You got to look and look at your team and you've got to be able to all work together um, so you can work, build on your strengths. Um, so you can be the best ASC that you can be. Absolutely. Um and do you think there are certain aspects of your clinical background that influence how you managed all those aspects of the ASC as an administrator? Um, yes, I think, uh, you know, if you're coming from an OR, you, you, you've, um, you've dealt, particularly in the inpatient environment, you've dealt with having to fit, uh, think quickly on your feet and you know, dealing with emergency situations and being able to prioritize. Um, so often a lot of that comes into, you know, like being organized and, and some of those things. But then there's a lot of leadership skills that you just, you know, some of them are inherent and some of them are not. And so you need to, you know, you need to be able to build on those. Absolutely. That's great. Um, one of the things we like to do on the podcast, Beth, is make sure we're kind of given practical tips and tricks to our listeners. That's what our, our listeners really like to engage with and, and learn from. 
And so, you know, if, if you are, you know, speaking to that, that section of the audience that is familiar with the operating room, right? Like you mentioned, knows how to run the operating room and is maybe new to or thinking through, hey, how would I apply the skill set or experience to managing a whole surgery center? What, what would be a couple of tips and tricks that you'd provide? Yeah, you know, I think I would come away. I've been thinking this with five tips. So um, the one thing I'm going to just build on what I just said is involving your team because you can't be successful alone and you've got to look at the big picture and um, you know be transparent and so looking at your team's strengths and delegating those um, you know you may see someone that's going to be great to be a great infection preventionist and empower them to take that role on and thrive there um, same with Quapi. Um, you might have someone who's really techie and, you know, you plan to pull them into some of the IT stuff or, gosh, some of this stuff that is really outside your expertise, you might want to outsource and bring in an industry expert to help with that. But you can't do it alone. You need to build your team. And when I, and I think something that's incredible with that is it builds um, camaraderie. It builds ownership amongst the staff to have the ASC succeed. And um, in, this, in these days where we're having um, staffing challenges, it, it also helps to uh, build longevity, um, folks that want to stay and, and, and not leave the surgery center. So that's tip number one. Which, which is increasingly important exactly. today, right? right? Which everybody's having yeah. these staffing shortages and challenges and, and how do we kind of motivate and inspire staff members to stay. So uh, I, I always circle those tips that help <laughs> with uh, kind of employee, you know, retention and satisfaction. Right. That's great. So, so number one, involve your team. I think the second one, supporting the industry. There are so many factors out there that are affecting your surgery center and your operation that you have no control over. Uh, your regulations, uh, your reimbursement, um, you know, things around staffing regulations. So you need to support your industry that's kind of working with those uh, challenges. For example, ASCA is, uh, you know, working every day to, uh, to work with Medicare and, you know, the federal regulations. And that's hugely impactful for your ASC. And then if you're in a state, uh, you're going to have different state regulations affecting your surgery center. So you need to be part of a community that is supporting your, um, your industry because you don't want to be have something happen to you that's going to um, negatively impact your center. And I think, you know, the pandemic brought to light <laughs> how important it is to be plugged in to, to both of those different areas because things were changing every day and, you know, you had the federal stuff coming down in the state. And if you weren't plugged into your... Um, industry experts or your associations, you are left behind. And uh, frankly, you know, probably maybe in a bit of, you know, floundering. So it's just huge, um, to, you know, to be successful. So that's number two. My third one would be, and this one seems easy, and um, but I, I find a lot of folks don't take this step is to know your standards and regulations and just make them really accessible. You should download the CMS interpretive guidelines, Appendix L, and have it on your computer and read it. 
and, and know it, uh, you know, know where things are said. You don't have to memorize it, but you need to be familiar with it. You need to know your accreditation standards and read that handbook. And then depending on what state you are, what those regulations look like. Because um, I'm going to guarantee you that you're going to have a patient, a physician, or a staff member challenge a certain policy or procedure that you do, and you not you have to know where those regulations are so you can, you know, be able to def, you know either defend or maybe even change a policy. Um, but you'd be surprised that folks just you know they they don't take that time, and if you're a paper person. Take it to a print, take the, the, the file to your printer and have them print it and bind it so you can write all over it. And, you know, but just make sure you're familiar with it. Um, you want me to I'll keep diving in? My next, my next, yeah, these are my next tip number four is take advantage of networking. And, and that's kind of, I'm going to build on my experience when I joined CASA. Um, it was just so huge for me. And you just really need to connect with others in the industry and they're going to support you being successful. So that means attending meetings, um, being part of online communities and forums and using their experience to help you. Um, one thing I found in the ASC industry is there is this um, inherent um, philosophy to help each other. Even across competitive boundaries, um, folks will say, no, you know what, this didn't work, this, this worked. Um, and that's been my experience through CASA is people really like to share, share what's working in their, in their centers or um, their experiences. So it's a huge resource to help you be successful. Isn't that great when you have a, an industry or community that, that has that culture? Because I think what it does is, you know, helps everybody learn faster learn, you know, learn from each other and, you know, kind of raise, raise the overall bar. Exactly. <laughs> and I just feel like it's kind of unique to the ASC world. Um, there is just, there is kind of this bond there that, um, it, and like I said, you may be a competitor, but they still, there still is this innate want, ability to want to share information. Yeah. And, and curious there, Beth, you mentioned, you know, being a part of the community and online forums for networking, best practice sharing, any online forums that you found to be particularly helpful or useful to bounce ideas? Well, I'm going to be selfish here, but <laughs> I know CASA has an online community where, so for us, for California centers, they can share their questions and concerns and, and, and get those answers. ASCA has one as well. And I mean, and what's great about those is they're so industry focused that you can ask something really in the weeds and, and they're going to get it. So those would be the two I would recommend. Perfect. And I guess I just have one more tip, and it's just to seek all the opportunities to distinguish your surgery center and yourself. Take it to the next level. So um, there are a lot of opportunities out there for additional certification. So, you know, I would research becoming CAS certified. Um, I would research having your infection preventionist, if it's you or if it's someone else in your facility, becoming CAPE certified. Um, there's other awards in the industry for ASCs like Newsweek. Um, just 
published the best ASCs across the country. And it's pretty cool to be on that list. And then, um, you know, CASA has an annual award that we do for ASCs and our members just have to, um, you know, apply and demonstrate how they're meeting these pillars. And um, I just, it's a very cool opportunity to uh, motivate your staff, um, get that additional recognition from your ASC. And, um, you know, it helps on the marketing side as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So, I, I love those love those five tips. And just to summarize, to make sure I got them, because I was um, scribbling <laughs> notes there. I heard number one, involve the team. You know, number two, be a participant and support the overall industry. Um, three, know the rule book. Four, um, take take advantage of kind of networking opportunities and opportunities to share best practice best practices across peer groups. And then five, seek out ways to differentiate and distinguish your center and yourself. Did I get those? Absolutely. Get those right? Yep. That's it. Fantastic. Our, our listeners yeah, love and, that. Um, so five. Oh, no, sorry, that's it. Ahead. I was just going to say, I think those apply to, you know, someone new and just trying to, you know, navigate their way through or somebody that's been in the industry for a while. You know, you get so busy in your day-to-day operations. Sometimes you, you kind of, you know, you know, need to recenter yourself and just, you know, maybe think of some additional tips. Absolutely. So final question for you, and this is one that we ask all of our guests. Um, what is one thing that our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery okay, centers? So it's, I think this is an easy one and I think it might surprise you and surprise a lot of centers, but I would say have your ASC, if they have not joined they need to join their local chamber of commerce. This is kind of like the easy button and a lot of ASCs are missing out on this. They're providing essential healthcare in their community. And so you need to be tapped into your community. And what a great way to um, establish connections with business leaders um, in the elected officials um, in your community, your, your local council or supervisors who often go up the chain to the state or even the federal level. So huge connections, huge opportunity to build your leadership skills. And honestly, when they're going to have uh, conversations about healthcare in the community, now you're a part of it. And it's just, it's just a a huge opportunity and so easy. Um, for your ASC that uh, it's just, um, you know, a great marketing tool. Brilliant. Yeah, we, we love, you know, listing out all these these cheat codes. <laughs> and um, from, from time to time, we'll, we'll, we'll share these out. So we kind of get the uh, get the network and the crowdsourced effect going. So thank you so much, um, Beth, for, for joining us. Really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank today. you for having me. It was my pleasure and um, really appreciate all that you guys are doing. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. The behemoth that is Google has had its eye on the healthcare industry for some time now, and this month they officially launched a new suite of digital tools around medical images. 
Billions of medical images are scanned each year, and every time they are, they rely on human intelligence and experience and interpretation to tell us what the image means. Um, the goal with Google's new medical imaging suite is that you'll be able to leverage technology and automated intelligence, AI, to uncover any insights from the images, which allows you to hopefully arrive at diagnoses faster and more accurately. Um, and it also will hopefully lower the workload on radiologists. So as with any new tech, we have plenty of early adopters um, and plenty of skeptics, but in one use case, Hackensack Meridian Health in New Jersey is working on building AI algorithms that can predict uh, metastasis in patients with prostate cancer. So while this new piece of tech hasn't made its way to ASCs just yet, it's something we'll want to keep our eye on and start to think about what use cases we might have for it someday in the near future. Um, I know thinking about bringing AI to something as personal as healthcare can be a little intimidating, um, but you know the human element is not going anywhere. It's just a matter of can we use AI and other technology to improve efficiencies. So uh, that is called Google's new medical imaging suite. In our second story, according to NBC News, flu season is off to an early start this year. Uh, typical flu seasons ramp up in December and usually peak in February, but this year, the CDC is starting to see numbers spike now, which is about two months earlier than usual, which is why some people um, are kind of sounding the alarm and, and getting concerned. Um, so why is this happening? Last year, flu vaccines were down. As were flu cases, um, as people were still distancing and wearing masks and following uh, COVID protocols. And unfortunately, vaccine fatigue is a real issue right now. So flu vaccinations are still trending down in 2022 as well, uh, which is not helping the, the issue here. So all of that combined makes this the perfect storm and is setting us up for a severe flu season. Uh, so I know I don't have to remind anyone in the ASC industry the importance of getting a flu vaccine. Um, so just consider this more of a reminder and a heads up if you haven't heard this yet. Um, and just keep your guard up and, and stay safe this flu season. Our third story, if you not if you have not seen this yet, uh, Newsweek released a list of America's best ambulatory surgery centers. So according to the Newsweek editor-in-chief, Nancy Cooper, rankings are based on recommendations by medical professionals and a careful analysis of the facility's performance data. So um, in their rankings, there are 510 ASCs and that made the list. And just to give you context, there are a little over 6,000 uh, Medicare certified surgery centers in the country. So 510 made the list. Um, and we have 39 different states represented. Uh, as you can imagine, California, Texas, Florida, and New Jersey had the most recognized centers, which tracks considering they have the most centers to choose from. Uh, but congratulations are in order for 90210 Surgery Medical Center located in Beverly Hills, California, for being ranked as the number one ASC in the country. And Gramercy Surgery Center, located in New York City, uh, was actually ranked number two. So that's a huge accomplishment, and everyone who is recognized should be extremely proud of their achievements here. 
And as always, we'll put the links to all these articles in the episode show notes. So feel free to go look at it. Um, you know, I threw it in an Excel spreadsheet and you can kind of sort and play around with different stuff. They also have different groupings uh, where you can sort by region and state and stuff like that. So again, put this, I will put this link in the show notes so you can go directly there and see the full list of, of the 510 centers. And to end our news segment on a positive note, Lehigh Valley Health Network released a 30-minute documentary on YouTube a few weeks ago called The Strength to Heal, uh, which features four nurses who share their stories about what they experienced during the pandemic. Um, so I know that probably doesn't sound like a good news story right off the bat, but here's why I think that it is. Um, this documentary is extremely well done, and while yes, it is a definitely a heavy subject matter, I think it, what they do a really good job of is bringing awareness to what healthcare workers went through and how much of a lasting impact healthcare workers had on their patients and their families, um, and that non-healthcare workers can have a glimpse into what it was like and how grateful we should all be for those who helped us get through the thick of the pandemic. So definitely check it out. It's incredibly well done, and the stories are so moving. Um, and again, it's called The Strength to Heal, and it's on YouTube, and we'll put the link in the show notes too. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you again next week.